Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. In just a couple minutes, I'll be joined by C. Weaver of Housing Justice for All. She's one of the leading uh, housing justice advocates in New York State. And a very important conversation coming up with her because as we speak, the New York State Legislature is uh, voting on, discussing, debating, and voting on an extension of the eviction and foreclosure moratorium and changing some of the dynamics there in light of recent Supreme Court rulings that struck down the federal eviction moratorium and part of New York's eviction moratorium, which had gone further than the federal one. And so the governor, Kathy Hochul, has called the state legislature back into special session here on Wednesday, September 1st, 2021 to address issues related to uh, the eviction moratorium and the state's rental relief program, which has been very troubled. Uh, but Governor Hochul has pledged to get back uh, working in order and getting money out, billions of dollars to tenants and landlords. And so C. Weaver will join me very shortly to discuss what's going on in Albany right now and the future of the eviction moratorium, rental relief funds, and the larger housing justice picture that she works on uh, year-round and uh, housing policy in New York. So I'm looking forward to that conversation momentarily. What she and other activists and advocates want to see from Governor Hochul and the state legislature beyond this eviction moratorium and rent relief program, what else is on their agenda, we'll be discussing that momentarily. And I'm very pleased now to bring to Max Politics for the first time C. Weaver, who is uh, the leader of the Housing Justice for All movement here in New York. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, as we speak, uh, the state legislature is in a special session called Back to uh, to Work in Albany by Governor Hochul. Um, what do you make of the details that you've seen so far in terms of the extension of the eviction and foreclosure moratorium and some of the other changes it looks like they're passing today, although uh, the debate and the voting on, on this new legislation could, could go well into the late evening tonight and even past uh, midnight, perhaps. But what do you make of what you're seeing there from your point of view? Yeah, um, I think that the legislation is, you know, about as good as we could have gotten. It is going to extend their eviction protections if it passes, which, you know, we assume it will. Debate is happening right now, but um, it will extend our eviction protections in New York until January 15th. Um, with some small modifications to account for the Supreme Court decision um, from last week. And it's also going to um, open up ERAP to more counties, make it easier for folks to get protections that are covered by the emergency ERAP, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, and also give tenants some permanent protections that they'll be able to raise in court uh, to defend themselves against non-payment cases once the eviction moratorium does eventually expire. Um so it's a it's a huge step forward um, from a place where we are right now, which is like no pandemic era eviction protections whatsoever. And I really think it's a good harbinger, so to speak, of how the our new governor is going to work with the legislature to quickly address problems as they come up. 
And so as far as you're concerned, this will provide solid perfect, uh, protections to tenants uh, into January uh, as needed. And, and what do you what do you think about the initial changes to the emergency rental assistance program that Governor Hochul announced and some of her pledges to try to get this money out the door that has really been um, – you know, just not moving at the pace it should be under former Governor uh, Cuomo. Yeah. So I think that the eviction moratorium will protect tenants, especially tenants who know their rights and especially tenants who are in New York City and have access to right to counsel. Sort of my top message to, to renters in this moment is like, is do not self-evict. You can defend yourself against an eviction. You have a lot of rights to do so. And so a lot of people might not know about the hardship declaration form. They might not know about ERAP and rental assistance. And so they might just leave when their landlord says to leave. And, and that's really the thing that we need to avoid. Um, people need to stay in their homes. There are ways that you can fight an eviction in this moment. And that's really what Kathy Hochul is saying when she says we need to make improvements to ERAP. She's talking about putting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of new staff out into the field knocking on doors, something really akin to, you know, the census operation that we were able to do in New York City, um, talking to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people about their rights, what's available to them, and making sure they sign up for benefits. And I, I think that's a good role for government, right? It's something that's really often left to cash out not-for-profit organizations. And it's actually good to see government say, and actually part of our job is to do tons and tons of outreach and education about the programs that actually exist. Are there things that you, your fellow activists, uh, impacted renters um, uh, have been asking for that you are not hearing uh, Governor Hochul or, or legislators talk about or taking action on? Are there any missing pieces of this puzzle at this point? It sounds like, um, you know, this fairly dramatic action here, especially in light of this, of the recent Supreme Court rulings are, um, as you said, you know, about as, as good as you could uh, expect at this time. Um, I know you would have had a different design to things to begin with, but given where we're at, mm -hmm. are there other, are there other pieces of the puzzle here that you haven't, you know, heard action on? Are there other things you're asking for now as things continue from here, September through the end of the year, let's say? Yeah, so it's just important to, I guess, at this moment, remember two things. The first is that unemployment is still at 7%. Um, and the second is that the Delta variant is surging. And, oh, I guess the next is Lambda. There's even more variants on the way, um, vaccine-resistant variants on the way. So mm -hmm. I think the... Um, pandemic is not quite over as much as we would like it to be. And, you know, that is having other impacts on the economy, including people's ability to go back to work. Um, that means that we're like just honestly in that combined with the two years of lost income for some folks, 18 months of lost income for some folks at this point just means that we are in, um, a period where poverty is getting worse, where people's financial hardship or their ability to pay the rent is is lessened than it was before. And so so that means that we actually need more permanent solutions. This isn't the sort of thing anymore that you can just put a pause on or that you can fix a temporary back rent 
money to pay the back rent. Um, what we really need now are like actually permanent investments in strengthening tenants' rights against eviction and supporting people and paying their rent. Um, so one such example of that in the new package um, of legislation that's being debated in this moment is something called the Tenant Safe Harbor Act. Um, and I kind of call the Tenant Safe Harbor Act the piece of tenant legislation that we've passed in the last year that's the, like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas legislation. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. It says basically that what happens during the COVID-19, any rent that is accumulated during the COVID-19 pandemic, tenants have a defense in court should they ever be taken to court for that back rent. So anything that happens between March of 2020 through January 15th, 2022, all that non-payment, um, Tenants will have a permanent defense when their landlords eventually do take them to court for it. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the kind of legislation that we need to see. Um, we need to see something that permanently addresses this period, um, not temporarily kicks the can down the road. And um, right now, Tenant Safe Harbor just has too many loopholes in it um, for mm -hmm. it to effectively work, especially for unregulated renters outside of the city. Um so we need to fix that law and we need to also, you know, pass good cause eviction. Good cause eviction. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that later on, but why don't you talk a little bit more about that um, in terms of, correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems like the the biggest priority, uh, you know, beyond the emergency at hand, that seems like the biggest priority uh, of the of the housing justice movement here in New York to is to pass the good cause eviction legislation. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it is, it is among our top priorities. Um, mm -hmm. We also, of course, need to urgently rehouse 92,000 people and win some public investment for a beleaguered public housing stock. But mm -hmm. um, Good Cause Eviction is a bill sponsored by Senator Salazar in the Senate and Assemblywoman Pam Hunter in the Assembly. And what it would do is it would protect tenants from um, from evictions without cause. So that means that it would protect tenants from retaliatory evictions. It would stop landlords from be, being able to, you know, refuse to let tenants continue to live in their, in their homes. It would also protect tenants from um, what we call in the legislation unconscionable rent increases. Those are essentially rent increases above about 150% of the consumer price index. And this law would cover everyone except for renters in owner-occupied apartment buildings with one to four units. So that means um, the, you know, half of New York City that rents in an unregulated apartment as opposed to the rent-stabilized stock would be protected. Um, they would be able to organize. They would be able to fight their eviction cases. And we think it's, like, key to sort of navigating out of the COVID-19 pandemic. And in upstate New York, where rent stabilization it, it doesn't exist, it would it would be truly transformative. Mm -hmm. All right, so maybe we'll come back to that if we have a few minutes. But we got right into what's happening, of course, the news of the day, the emergency at hand um, in terms of what's happening at the state legislature, the action happening there as we speak in a special session um, to recreate uh, an eviction moratorium 
foreclosure moratorium, make some alterations to uh, rental assistance. Um, but zoom us out here and, and give us a little overview of, of the housing justice for all movement, what it is, who's part of it, uh, and what you all do. Totally. So Housing Justice for All, um, which I coordinate, is a coalition of over 80 grassroots um, organizations that represent tenants and homeless New Yorkers in the, across the state of New York. Um, so we represent organizations from Brooklyn to Buffalo, and it's widely in Long Island as well, um, although it doesn't fit in the alliteration quite so much. Um, and we, our organization sort of very wide, widely in size from really grassroots, all volunteer-led tenant unions to some of the biggest tenant organizations or organizations that represent um, working class people in, in, the, uh, in the state. So, you know, like Make the Road New York, which has a, a you know, very large staff. Um, we also work with legal service providers um, and policy experts to sort of help provide the technical assistance we need to navigate Albany. And our role is to really create a statewide network for tenant groups to be able to, like, exert power in the state capital, which is just notoriously run by real estate. And we've been really tremendously successful over the last um, three years since we were founded. And I think having this statewide network of renters and homeless New Yorkers who also, you know, exert political power in elections has changed the balance of power in Albany. And, you know, I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do. And what, um, what would you put at the, at the top of those accomplishments? There are obviously major, um, uh, extensions and, and uh, increases to the uh, rent regulations that passed. Um, what what would you put at the top of those accomplishments? Yeah, I mean, from from passing, you know, really we turned back two to three decades of real estate friendly public policy when it comes to tenants' rights um, in New York State in 2019. And, and that was something that many, many people in our coalition had been working on for decades. And um, a combination of, you know, getting really engaged in the electoral fights in 2018, so continuing to mobilize in 2019 really is what brought us that victory. Um, I sort of, you know, that's like one of the top accomplishments, I would say. Another, another thing that I think is kind of cool is that in just really three years of doing this work, um, you know, built on you know, decades of other um, other work in the city, um, this idea that you can, you know, run for office as a progressive and also take real estate money is no longer it's no longer possible, right? Um, it, that went from being a sort of like fringe demand when Jabari Brisport ran for city council in 2017. Um, and we were like in the midst of a fight over some public land in Crown Heights. He was like, I'm not taking real estate money. And everyone was like, hey, whatever, that's yours. And <laughs> Diana Richardson, 2015, made the same pledge. And it was sort of improbable. Today, I mean, I don't know how many people ran for city council as a progressive. Every single one of them is like, we can absolutely not take real estate money. And that's true across the state. And so I think that our work has had an impact 
on shifting how people run for office. And I hope that that has impacts beyond just in the housing world. What do you make of, um, since you brought brought this topic up, I've found, you know, Eric Adams is the likely next mayor of New York City. And his approach to this these questions has been, um, you know, f- fairly, fairly interesting. Uh, and I, uh, so I'm interested in your take on, you know, what he's put forward uh, before we, we come back to some of the state state level stuff. Uh, based on what you just said, you know, Eric Adams has said, I'm not demonizing real estate. I'm I'm not uh, going to refuse their donations, but I also have, mm-hmm. you know, a really good affordable housing plan. And we're going to, uh, you know, bring a lot more affordable housing to, to wealthier areas of the city and and uh, invest in NYCHA and so forth. Um, what do you think of, of his comments around what you just raised and, and his broader approach to um, to housing policy as you've seen it so far? Yeah. So I think it's important to remember that the affordable housing industry is an industry. And this is really important when it comes to city policy. So, you know, when Eric Adams says, I'm going to invest a whole bunch of money in affordable housing and we're going to have like an affordable housing plan there, it doesn't really necessarily like mean very much, right? You could have an affordable housing plan that's designed to serve the needs of the 92,000 New Yorkers who are homeless or an affordable housing plan that's designed to serve this huge industry that that you know we're of people who profit off of the city's rental um rental and housing construction subsidies so when it comes to like what is eric adams going to do in neighborhoods like the upper west side um is he going to actually build housing there i don't know um i can't really read the future but i do know that when he was running for election he was sort of actively standing with the most nimbies of the nimbies the like clean up the Upper West Side people who didn't want the men to stay in the Lucerne Hotel, who were like actively fighting the de Blasio administration over the need to, you know, get people out of congregate shelters. And so I'm a little bit skeptical that Eric Adams is actually going to stand up to those communities when it's actually time to build affordable housing. And um, I think it might be more like the... um, like the, like the Bloomberg experience where wealthy white neighborhoods are down zoned and we see a lot of rezoning in, in poorer neighborhoods of the city. But we'll see, you know, mm-hmm. um, we'll see what happens. And Okay. So uh, coming back to your, your, your current agenda, um, I see on the Housing Justice for All website, you mentioned the good cause eviction bill. The couple of other um, items that you most highlight are um, a housing access voucher program and um, a tenant opportunity to purchase act. Are those still uh, the other top priorities? And, and can you explain you know those and, and what else might be at the top of the, the state agenda in terms of what you're where you're hoping to go with a legislative agenda? Obviously, yeah, mo- totally. much of this much of this would be next year. Yeah, this is all next year, and it's, you know, sort of contingent on what happens with Delta, mm-hmm. right, and what happens in the run-up to January 15th when our new eviction moratorium, knock on wood, will uh, expire. Um, so the Housing Access Voucher Program is a state um, rental assistance subsidy for New Yorkers who are currently homeless or um, at risk of homelessness. 
And the reason it's so exciting is that it would be the first rental assistance program in the country that um, undocumented New Yorker or undocumented people could apply for. Um, and, I mean, it's really that simple. It's, it's money to support low-income people and paying the rent. Um, right now, I mean, they if the program was fully funded, it would cost $16 billion. Um, we are seeking money in the first year um, to, you know, we're seeking like a billion dollars in the first year to try and get it operationalized. And, and the goal would really be to stabilize our, our um, New Yorkers who are currently homeless. Um, and hopefully, you know, it's a permanent rental subsidy. And so that can address some of the problems that small landlords always raise when we start to talk about COVID in the eviction moratorium, right? It's always important to think about rental assistance subsidies are, are subsidies to landlords. They're subsidies to help people pay the rent. Um, so it's a housing access voucher program. We're excited about that bill, and it's just the fastest way to get people out of shelters. Tenant opportunity to purchase is a bill that um, would allow New Yorkers who rent their homes first right of first refusal if a building is up for sale or up for foreclosure. Um, this is happening all the time, especially during the pandemic, where landlords just want to sell their building. They want to get out of the market. We want tenants to have a right of first refusal when that happens to convert buildings to limited equity cooperatives, of which there's a long history in New York City, um, community land trusts or other sort of new model social housing. Um, so both of, and, you know, of course, that only works if there's funding for it. Um, housing is not free. Um, so both TOPA and the Housing Access Voucher Program could work together um, to bring a lot of buildings into the universe of affordable housing um, where tenants are in the driver's seat of what happens. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited about those two programs. I think one key thing that's going to be happening next year, the big showdown with the real estate industry in Albany is going to be over the 421A property tax exemption. Yes, I'm glad um, you brought that up. That's going top priority, and we think it's just hugely wasteful and that Albany needs to let that subsidy die. And do you think there's legislative support for that? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, it's not going to be easy, There's, mm -hmm. but there's definitely support in the legislature. There's a bill... In the Senate, um, introduced by Senator Myrie in Brooklyn and in the Assembly by Assembly Member Linda Rosenthal, um, 421A is extraordinarily wasteful. We spend more uh, per capita on a unit in a four or per unit um, on buildings on like quote unquote affordable housing in a 421A unit than we do on some of our city's most deeply affordable affordable housing programs. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just a waste of resources we shouldn't be pursuing in the middle of the pandemic. And I know you have an, an ally there. Not sure how much sway he'll have, but the likely next city controller, Brad, Brad Lander, was talking a lot about um, doing away with 421A uh, during his campaign for, for controller. Um, yeah. So, see, we were, we're in our last uh, few minutes here. I, I want to try to get to a couple other things with you. Um, so a variety of the things that we've talked about here are obviously would be major uh, pieces of legislation, major changes to how housing policy is done in the city. We've talked about a few of those beyond the current, you know, eviction moratorium and emergency rental uh, assistance program. But I know you also 
you know, you operate sort of uh, on two wavelengths as, as many activists and, and even elected and appointed officials do, which is sort of what's the immediate things we're, we're looking to get past or, or the short to middle term. And then what's the bigger, you know, vision here? Um, are there things that are part of sort of the bigger housing policy vision for, you know, the future that you're trying to build um, this movement around that we haven't mentioned? Um, you know, is it is it trying to build more public housing? You know, are there are there things you know in the in the sort of middle to, to big picture that we we haven't gotten to? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I really think that the state has a role to play in building new model public housing, and there's a lot of ways that we could look like it. There's a lot of things that that could look like. Um, one is like you know, NYCHA could be the applicant, for example, if there was a rezoning um, happening, NYCHA itself could be the applicant for that public site, could submit a proposal, could build the housing themselves. That would be really exciting. Um, another idea that we're toying around with in Housing Justice for All is what would it look like to create something like a social housing development authority, um, an authority that could issue bonds and raise capital from both the federal government and state and local governments and, and use that money, work with not-for-profit developers or community land trusts or, or even the local public housing authority to, to build new mixed-income housing um, for the long term. And it's really it's exciting, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And as there is tons and tons and tons of new infrastructure money coming into the state. And as, you know, NYCHA starts to really explore new models to organize itself, um, you know, I think there's, like, real opportunity to rehabilitate public housing, the image of public housing, and what public housing can really do and expand public housing in the next few years. Interesting. And in our in our last 30 seconds here, in terms uh, we can we can talk city policy quite a bit more uh, another time. But in terms of the next mayoral administration, um, one big ask, one big policy shift that could really make a, a huge difference, in your opinion, in the in the way housing policy is done in New York City. Is there something, you know, sort of at the top of the agenda as you as you look forward to a new mayoral administration and a new city council coming in in January? Wow. Um, I think that one big idea, um, I can't decide. I think that this next <laughs> mayor needs to, I know, right? Um, what's going to happen with our public housing in the next five years is critical. And the next mayor needs to like completely turn the corner on rad conversions and really start to think about, like, what are we going to do to stabilize public housing as public for the long term? Honestly, I'm not, I don't know if Eric Adams wants to do that. I don't, I don't feel hopeful that he does, but, but hopefully he does. And NYCHA residents should and are organizing for that. I think that when it comes to expanding the amount of public and social housing that exists in the city, revisiting programs like the New York City's tax lien sale and maybe doing away with that and actually moving back to a world where we use outstanding tax debt to convert buildings into affordable housing is something that the next administration should really, really be looking at. 
Um, and All right. Well, there's there's a couple of things. Yeah, we'll talk more city policy <laughs> down the road, but appreciate the time. C. Weaver is the campaign coordinator for the Housing Justice for All movement. Uh, appreciate the, the time and the thoughts. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks.